ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, back here in the NBC Sports Charlotte studios where for the second consecutive week, I have an in-person guest who lives within probably almost walking distance. Maybe not, you're not quite as close as Parker. I'm not as close as Parker. I could technically walk here. (laughs) It wouldn't be that very pretty of a walk, I don't think. Biking would be a better option. I'm like two-ish and change miles away. So it definitely is walkable. I don't know if it's a walk I would do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, especially with all the construction yeah. here in South End of Charlotte. It gets a little bit crazy at times. But yes, as you just heard, Kim Kuhn has joined us for the NASCAR and NBC podcast as we discuss the post-Atlanta Motor Speedway edition. Kim, first of all, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always like I jumping on the podcast with you. Did it last year. I think we had a good chat. Yeah. And Always down to come in. Always glad to have you. And we're in the studio where we did NASCAR America Motormouths last year. You've hosted that a few times, and now we've moved out to digital on the YouTube channel, the Motorsports and NBC YouTube channel. You can see Kim doing her work there for us and also will be a pit reporter for us this year on NASCAR and NBC. And what else do you have going on this year? I A little bit of the same as last year. So NBC, the second half of the season, and I'll do, honestly, almost the entire schedule of NBC. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Races That's for more NASCAR. Than year, right? yeah. More than last year. Last year, I actually did more than I was originally planned, which was great. They threw me on some more than had originally been talked about. And then this year, I had the opportunity to do all of them if I wanted to. But there were, there were two weekends where MRN needs a little help because the series are split. And I think trucks two different times are at road courses and the way radio calls road courses is different than television in most cases. And they need kind of all hands on deck, especially since, you know, (laughs) the series are split in two different locations. So I think it's Richmond weekend and Daytona weekend where I'll hop back over to MRN for the weekend, otherwise all NBC. And then the first half of the season, MRN, uh, not every weekend though, just kind of I, mean, I, I could not commit to every single weekend. I don't know how how teams and drivers. Weekend, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. Um, so here and there, um, but a good handful of races with MR in the first half of the season. Well, that's great. And that's great that you're also getting more work with us because you do a great job. You're always on top of things, both with your reports and with your interviewing, but also good as well that you're getting some time off. Yes. I have very heartily endorsed the notion that if you aren't working on a team, again, like you just said, I totally respect the teams, the crew chiefs, the drivers who have to be there every week, but 
if you don't have to be there every week, right? I think it's good from a mental health perspective to maybe yeah, there's take some a, time off. Yeah, there's yeah. a happy medium. There's definitely the mental health aspect, which I heartily agree with. And then also, I like to be in this kind of sweet spot of not there every weekend because I feel like I wear the myself out, but also the teams out because... Yeah. You know, in my position as a pit reporter, I'm talking to teams and crew chiefs and drivers, and I just feel like if I was there every single weekend knocking on their door like, what's going on? They would be like, oh, my gosh, you're <laughs> driving me nuts. But on the flip side, if you're not there enough, you feel like you're rusty and, yes. and your your face isn't seen enough to where they're like, where are you? And they joke, okay, part-timer kind of thing. So there's a, there's a happy medium in terms of the frequency with which – you travel to the track. There definitely is, but uh, that happy medium certainly involves getting some time away from the track, which I did this past weekend. You did as well. Ne- we were just talking about neither of us were at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So before we get to that, did you have a nice time back in the Florida region? Right? I did. You saw family. I yes. Okay. So we did a father-daughter's trip. I have two sisters. I'm oh. the middle of three girls. Um, and it had been t- 10 years since we had done an actual father-daughter trip. So this was a Christmas gift from my dad. Oh. Uh, so we went down to Palm Beach. But my mom kind of felt left out. Uh, so she tagged along <laughs> to the – so it ended up being a family trip. So they're all in Central Florida. So they – they drove down, but I flew down to Palm Beach, and it was nice. The weather was spectacular. I originally, thought we thought there was going to be rain in the area all weekend, but as Florida is unpredictable, it ended up not. So we had what I would consider perfect weather all weekend long. Well, that's good. Yeah. I saw that uh, you know they were predicting doom and gloom at Sebring as well. We yes. Had 12 hours yeah. of Sebring this yeah. past weekend. It didn't seem like it was too affected, and obviously Atlanta was affected the first day, but thankfully things worked out Sunday. We saw the win for Joey Logano, last lap pass of Brad Keselowski. And I just want to start, Kim, with Logano mentioned this immediately in his interview afterward. First of all, it's his first career win in Atlanta in the Cup Series, which is just hard to believe. mind-boggling when they said that. But immediately Logano points out. First off, it's so special to win Atlanta for me. Uh, so many memories of me and my dad racing right here on a quarter mile. This is the, the full circle uh, for us. So many memories gritting over there at the Legends car and racing and having a big time and, and dreaming of going straight at the quarter mile and going on to the big track. That was always a dream that do it and to finally win here um, means so much to me personally. I don't know if you feel this way, but nothing makes me feel older than Joey Logano, two-time cup champion who's what, all of I think he's 33 this year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Talking if, about like this full circle win at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Yeah, definitely made me feel old. But then it was a good reminder of how many drivers cut their teeth at Atlanta on the shorter track. And then also the fact that he lived, I believe, in the condos above whatever turn that is uh, for a period of time. Definitely felt old. And <laughs> it was also a good reminder how long Joey has been in the sport for as young as he is. And it is brought up often, I think, just how early he got his start in cup racing and the fact that it took this long to race in Atlanta, but then just the trajectory of his entire career. And he's talking about a full circle race at this point. Like to me, that's something that a Kevin Harvick or a, a Danny Hamlin at this point in their career, if they were to have a win like that, talking about full circle. I don't know that you're full circle when you have, I would guess, 10 years still ahead of you in your career, (laughs) which I would guess is is, is at least 10 years for Joey uh, left racing. So yeah, I I got a chuckle out of it too. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say it that way because I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective, but yeah, he's going to be 33 this year. I mean, he could probably, I mean, what Harvick is 47, 47. You look at Jimmy Johnson who semi-retired, but back for a little bit for a handful of races and he's 
close to that age too, 48, 47, around there. Uh, so certainly. And then there were past legends that raced into their 50s. So right. he could make what he wants of it. But he certainly has, I would think, a solid competitive 10 years left in the Cup Series. Again, what makes this unique with Joey Logano is no one has started earlier, literally. I remember the 2009 Daytona 500. He was the youngest starter in NASCAR history in the biggest race of the year. He was 18 years old. I think there were times early in his career where it certainly didn't seem as if he might not even get a chance at being a champion or being a winner in the Cup Series uh, after a few rough early seasons at Joe Gibbs Racing. But this was another example, Kim, of just how sublime he is as a super speedway racer, his battle with Keselowski. Two of the top five super speedway racers in NASCAR and producer uh, Zach Catanzaretti sent a really interesting note that he thought that this was another example of how Joey is like the perfect mixture of Kyle Busch's racecraft, Ross Chastain's aggression, Jimmy Johnson's kind of brains and speed, mm -hmm. like that Joey's kind of developed into this really just prototypical race car driver. In yeah, some ways. he's a bit of like of a Frankenstein You're, as you yeah. pull all those pieces of the different drivers. But he's showing that he deserves to be where he is. And the fact that we're talking about he still could have 10 good competitive years left is attributed to, to those kind of facets. One of my favorite quotes was <laughs> in last year's series that you and I did was that with his helmet off, you know, Joey's a nice guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a nice guy. But when he puts his helmet on, he's a jerk. I said and that. Yeah. You said that and it hit me because it's so true. And you don't really think about it because we deal with drivers so frequently and, and with so much more frequency out of the race car yeah. than we do in the race car. I mean, we're not talking to them on the radio. Uh, we're listening to them. And so, you know, I don't think of Joey Logano as a jerk by any means. But then you really think about when he puts on the helmet and what he does behind the wheel. And he is. He's a, he's a bit of a a jerk and, and uh, kind of do what do, does what he wants personality. But he, he is ha, has crafted himself into, I don't want to say the perfect race car driver, but he has all these attributes that we singularly give to other drivers, but he has kind of collected them in this basket for himself and, and is a, a great kind of mix of everything. I'm glad you brought this up about the jerk side because Kyle Busch called Joey Logano two-faced after I believe is the clash yes. uh, this year. And Logano has this great Sirius XM NASCAR show, the segment that he does every week on the morning drive. Logano like gleefully sort of accepted that and said, yeah, I am two-faced. And that was the point I was trying to make on Race for the Championship. Off the track, Joey Logano is a very gregarious personality. He's very personable. Joey Logano on the track, completely different person. Logano. When he puts on that helmet, Joey Logano is, he's a bit of a jerk. I may get in trouble for sharing this, but I don't really <laughs> care. So that was in the first episode where they broke down Joey Logano's win in the clash last year and kind of went behind the scenes with him and showed what he was about. And I said, off the racetrack, he's one of the best guys. This Sirius XM NASCAR show shows it. He's really good with the media. He's become really polished. I think he's a really good ambassador, a really good spokesman for NASCAR. He does a ton of great work with his charities. He is the guy that he sells himself to be off the racetrack. Yes. He's not just, you know, doing charity work to do charity work. He really is a 
invested in it. He really is the family guy that you see yes, when you see those right. photos. He is that person outside of the car. And if you see that side, you appreciate it because we know there are other drivers who, this is a little bit of Jekyll yeah. and Hyde. And I guess it sort of is with Agano, but it's in a good way. And that, that was the point I was trying to make in Race for the Championship and saying that when he puts on that helmet, he's a jerk because I think I've heard Burton or... Steve Wittard or maybe it's Kyle or DJ. Like I, I've heard some of our analysts say this and it, it didn't really dawn on me until last year, like how much of a dichotomy there is there with him that there is this other side when he puts the helmet on that he is cutthroat. He is ruthless. Mm -hmm. So anyway, when that episode ran, it was right before playoff media day last year. And <laughs> did I he come at you for it? <laughs> I, well, I watched that episode and I was like, Ooh. yeah, I wasn't, unhappy like that I got taken out of context or anything like that. I mean, you and I know how yeah. reviews work and how yeah. they, they edit things together. And I meant what I said. Like maybe if people would have heard the whole three minute answer, it would have made more sense. But yeah, uh, of course I was interviewing drivers for NASCAR NBC during playoff media day and Joey sat down and immediately <laughs> looked at me and said, oh, I've got a bone to pick with you. I mean, he wasn't too happy about it then, but it was funny like this year, like Kyle calls him, yeah. Kyle Bush calls him two-faced yeah. and it's like, oh yeah, I'm good yeah. with that now. <laughs> so I, I don't think, know. Yeah. I think if he really thought about it, he would agree. Yeah. Like Joey would agree with that. Yeah. And we use the word jerk in the sense that like a different kind of jerk, more in the sense that he does what he wants. He, he makes no apologies right. for the most part, not jerk in that he's just blatantly taking people out or doing that sort of nature. He, he just is a jerk because he does what he wants and he's unapologetic about it in the race car. Right. And another guy who I think can be that way is his former teammate at Team Penske. Brad Keselowski. So they had this great battle, Kim, for really the last 10 or 15 laps at Atlanta, like both of their drafting lines going back and forth. And it was this interesting dynamic because Keselowski and Logano know each other really well. I mean, Joey Logano went to Team Penske because Brad Keselowski essentially vouched for him mm -hmm. with Penske management. He got Joey Logano hired as his teammate for the 2013 season. So uh, Logano was asked about this after the race. Jordan Bianchi, The Athletic, uh, how would you describe that battle with Brad? Like a cat and mouse, a chess match? Were you anticipating every move he was making because you know him so well and you like, oh, he's going to do that and then he did it? I know Brad really well on and off the racetrack, right? And I know he's going to do anything to win a race and rightfully so right i wouldn't say we our racing mentalities are very different <laughs> and that's why uh you know i feel like we get along well but we also sometimes have clashed on a track every now and again not not very often but you know we both race really really hard so you know i felt like we were gonna we we're definitely gonna duke it out but when i got to his outside it was, only, it was either he was gonna wreck or or we were going to just race and, and, you know, hopefully he was going to get the big push on the bottom. That was his only hope there. So um, it just ultimately ended up working out fine. But it's fun racing with him, to answer your question, I guess, because you kind of have an idea of, of what he's thinking a little bit. But And also with TJ, right, he's, he's a spotter, and, and he was my spotter for years. So I kind of have an idea of what information TJ's feeding him, and it all just kind of worked out for us. When you were watching this, you know Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano really well from having covered them all these years. What did you make of that? And was that kind of in the back of your mind that like, hey, these guys know each other really well and they're in this chess match to try to win this race? Yeah, and I think if it were any other combination of Joey plus another driver, or Brad plus another driver, maybe we would have seen a different result in that there could have been a big wreck at the end that I think people were kind of on their edge of the seats as, as it was this kind of give and take. But... I think because they race what I would say similarly on super speedways and they're both so good on super speedways and they know each other 
kind of in a sense that they they can get into each other's minds and, and can kind of play that chess match. That's why we got such a good finish. I don't know that you have that finish, again, if it's Brad and anybody else or if it's Joey and anybody else. It was the fact that it was the two of them together and they were kind of almost, I don't want to say in sync, but it was kind of a tit for tat situation in my opinion. Do you think that's why there was all this discussion about how obviously the truck race and certainly the Xfinity race were a bit more of a mess in terms of number of cautions and crashes and especially at the end I think everybody thought oh last few laps of a super speedway style race at Atlanta you're going to see wrecks and there was no wrecks. Yeah I think it, it is a combination of the fact that you saw that in the truck and Xfinity to your point and then we do go to Talladega and Daytona and we often see that but again it's rare that we see two guys that know each other so well and race so similarly in those situations and have that respect that we don't often get in a position where they can just race it out without causing huge calamity. But people will say what they want about that type of racing, but fans showed up in Atlanta. It, the crowd looked great. And whether or not you have a big crash, I don't think makes or breaks the race. Mm. Like some people may have walked away disappointed because they thought there was going to be a big fan-wise. But in my opinion, I was on the edge of my seat thinking that was going to happen. And the fact that it didn't, I was like, that was the wow factor for me. Yeah. You can be as amazed by the fact that yeah. there wasn't a huge pile up. Yeah. And I think that speaks to like how skilled these guys are that I, I know I saw on social media that, and I may have been complicit, that there was some criticism in stage two that there was a lot of single foul racing. There was a, clearly a period here, like at Daytona and Talladega, where they were logging laps. Sure. And knew they were getting to the end. But then I think the end, like, showed, like, hey, these guys really are very, very good at what they do. Because I don't think anybody was taking it easy. But no, they still no. To oh, the nobody was taking it easy. Yeah. And there was a lot of help, too. You, you, you have to give credit to Christopher Bell and Corey LaJoy and, and what they were doing behind the two leaders. And it certainly could have been a different outcome if they had, had done anything differently. And so it wasn't just the fact that you had two guys in the front that were our, our masterminds when it comes to that style racing. You have two guys behind that are, I wouldn't call them veterans, but less experienced than Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski, but have been in those situations before. You look at Corey's race at Atlanta last year where, you know, he was in a, a similar position, not exactly, but towards the front. And then Christopher Bell, who is trying to log these good finishes and, and still prove himself in the Cup Series, and the fact that they were smart about what they did behind the two leaders, too, in helping them, I think it, it just made for the end of the race that you saw. So two of the best super speedway drivers, as I mentioned, in Brad Kozlowski and Joey Logano. But again, two of the best spotters as well with Brad Kozlowski having TJ Majors. Joey Logano has Coleman Presley, his longtime best friend. He says they, even if they weren't working together, they talk on a regular basis. They used to live together. Joey Logano said that Coleman's amazing. He's the best spotter on the roof by a long shot. He's uh, given me great information the whole time, um, you know, to be able to make the right moves on the racetrack. He understands it so well. Um, that on top of the, the card that Paul gave me, uh, just a, a really special race team uh, to be able to maximize what we had here today. Fast car, great team. I know, Kim, you probably spend a lot of time listening to mm. team radios and yep. your job as a pit reporter. So what's it like? hearing the spotter information going back and forth with the driver at a race like this when you have two guys who are so good and have spotters tj majors and coleman presley i don't want to say that they're like chatterboxes but they, they give a lot of a lot of information <laughs> there's two things i think is a i don't know how the spotters do it and then b i don't know how the drivers do it so a the rhythm 
and the amount of information with which spotters of that caliber are giving their drivers information is wild to me. I And it, it has to come naturally to them or else I don't know how you study for something like that. And you get better, obviously, over the years, but they're phenomenal at what they do atop the roof and, and are able to see things in motion. And it's, a, it's not only knowing your driver, but it's knowing the field and kind of predicting in a sense, being familiar enough with other drivers to kind of know where they're going to go and what's going to happen. So I think that's a, what makes a good spotter too, is not just knowing your driver, but knowing the field and being situationally aware. But then the other thing that I'm always impressed of is that a driver can sit and be in the middle of a race in a pack, especially doing all the things they're doing to race the car. And then also taking in that information while also taking in all the information that they're seeing and feeling as a driver. I, I honestly always am flabbergasted when I listen to a radio at a super speedway, like just the choreography of it and, and how the driver is processing everything, but then how the spotter is giving them that information. It just made me think about like when you talk about processing information, not just for the driver and spotter, but for you as pit reporter, how do you do it when you're at a Daytona or a Talladega and like have to do on-air reports, but also have to try to multitask and listen to everything yeah. that's being said? I mean, it, it is similar to that, listening to everything that's being said and you're scanning Depending on the situation, you know, at the end of a race, I'll probably usually typically lock in to one driver if I have a driver that's up front versus trying to scan as much when it's in the closing laps. Um, now, everything gets thrown out the window if, if you're a section of pit road, all four of the guys are up front, and then right. you're just kind of like kind of trying to juggle. But it is hard, but you're looking for the things that are sellable and make for a good story. So I don't want to say all the information the spotter is giving is throwaway information because it's not. The driver is using that. It's very crucial to the driver. But in terms of pushing the story further along for the viewer or the the listener, a lot of the stuff that the spotter is saying, in a sense, is throwaway information on a super speedway. Now, you do hear things in terms of spotters coaching drivers and certain things that they say that you do relay to your producer or, or the broadcast team to say, oh, this is a really good piece of information that, you know, would make the story better. But I would say, I don't know what the percentage is. There's probably, it's probably 50-50 or 60-40. Like 60% of the information is not going to be helpful yeah. to driving the story forward. 40% of it is in terms of what the spotter's saying or or a lot of times it's not even what the spotter is saying to the driver, but the spotter will talk to the crew chief too. And their conversation sometimes is more valuable than the spotter to the driver. So you're just listening to hear like if there's something specific or concrete that stands out, or maybe if they're even talking about the competition, maybe it's yeah. as much about Yeah, specifically that. on a super speedway, there's, there's much less usable information that's coming from a spotter for the broadcast on a super speedway in my opinion in my personal opinion than there is at other racetracks where you have to be a little more nitpicky and a little more thorough and combing through what the spotter's saying to find those good nuggets because it's just so it's it's like a stream of consciousness the good spotters at at super speedways that do a good job it just is literally a stream of consciousness it's second nature for them so they're just they they're rarely quiet. So you really have to go through with a fine tooth comb to figure out 
what's pertinent information to driving the story forward for the viewer or listener. Now, that's not to say that, again, that information is not good for the driver. They need to know that stuff. But, you know, do they need to know every door bumper clear you hear or every, like, two back? there? Right. But there is useful information if it is a spotter that is very skilled that that almost will feed you what's going to happen next yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Or if they're telling the driver, you know, so-and-so is behind you and I noticed earlier in the race they did this or that that's the more of the kind of information that you would kind of pull from that to share with the viewer or listener really fascinating window in that process and uh, you and all the other pit reporters do a really good job with like being discriminating about what you tell us or what you think is most important what you're most selective about tough job for you tough job for them and the drivers and like, i don't want to disparage anyone here and you just said door bumper clear and that made me think about like there are a lot <laughs> of spotters out here who have voices and have podcasts so hopefully they won't take any offense to that what i'm about to say Shelly got a pretty good shot. Tyler is still clear. Staying up. They're inside. Tyler now. One back on the bottom. One bottom. Tyler's going to pull him back. He's still got his quarter. Tyler will have the help on exit still. All right. They're pushing on the bottom. And top here. Joey's coming to the bottom. Bottom, 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 bottom first. Bottom first. Then up on exit. One back. One and a half on top of Tyler here. As I was watching the race yesterday, Kim, I was thinking about, on one hand, it's really cool to hear the driver-spotter communication, but on the other hand, it all, I almost feel like sometimes we're, that if you're a fan, you're like rooting for like air traffic controllers yeah. in some ways. Really? Here. Like are. Because they have so much influence now in terms of the, the moves the drivers are making. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. They have become central, especially at certain racetracks, to the dynamic of the race and how it plays out. And... I don't want to say a race can be won or lost by a spotter, but they certainly have a large stake in success of a team and driver at a racetrack like an Atlanta, a Daytona, a Talladega. There's there's a handful of other ones that don't fall into the super speedway category that you could probably put in, in that kind of bucket too. But certainly at super speedway racing, it helps drive that narrative when the driver gets out and says how crucial his spotter is and says, I couldn't have done this without my spotter. And he's so good and he's good at reading the traffic. And so I think the the driver and how complimentary or possibly not he is of his spotter also helps drive the narrative of spotters are so crucial at this style of racing. Which reinforces NASCAR as a team sport. Yep. If you're wanting to sell that. Yeah. Absolutely. That really reinforces that clearly. Yeah, that's a good point. So we've talked a lot about what guys were saying on radios. There was a lot of talk about what guys were saying in general this past week in NASCAR. <laughs> uh, let's start with Denny Hamlin, who has his own podcast now, Actions Detrimental, which could have been more appropriately named this past week when he gets fined and loses points for admitting on his podcast last week that he intentionally wrecked Ross Chastain on the final lap at Phoenix. So let's just start, Kim, with, I know where I stand on this. I suspect I know where you stand on this. Should NASCAR ever find someone for something they say, short of like inciting violence <laughs> or yeah. something like that? Should anybody ever be fined for something they say? I don't think it's black and white. Yes. Which people aren't probably going to like that answer. <laughs> There's a lot of gray area. You can't find people for everything they say just because you don't like it. Yes. In this instance, in particular, you can find somebody for something they said because they were directly talking about intent and what happened 
during competition. So I think this was a fair fine. This, this to me was very black and white. There was no gray area. Denny Hamlin came out after the race, after we saw that incident and said, I was going to take Ross with me. I did that essentially on purpose, um, which changed the outcome of the race. And may I say also changed my fantasy. You and I were in this head to head battle <laughs> oh, that's right. for the that's NASCAR right. uh, MB- on NBC broadcasters, uh, NASCAR fantasy live. And I had both Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain in my lineup <laughs> for the race. And they were running I had top Ross, 10. The they were running Denny. top 10 yeah. pretty much all day and, and were at that threshold in the closing lap. And then I see the, <laughs> they put, they put the headshots of the drivers as they pass the start finish line. And I, Where'd my they guy go through go? the top 10. I'm like, where is Denny and where is Ross? What yeah. did I miss? What happened? Yeah. Um, so if NASCAR wasn't going to find Denny, I was going to find him <laughs> and say, Hey man, you completely messed up my uh, fantasy score that week. But yeah, Back to your point, though, I have way sidetracked it just because I had personal (laughs) stake in the fact that Denny took out Ross uh, in the closing lap of Phoenix. But it's it's a it's very black and white in this case. I don't think overall it's a black and white thing where based on what a driver says, you can or can't say it is finable. There's a lot of gray area. This was not one of the gray areas. Yeah. And I joke about it, but there, I think NASCAR drivers know where the line is on what they can say. Like yeah. I said, inciting violence, but obviously we've seen in the Kyle Larson incident, unfortunately, a couple yeah. years ago, there are certainly things you cannot you cannot say. say. You should not say yeah. in public. Obviously, yeah, anything like racist or discriminatory, like NASCAR has reacted in those ways as well. But I, I think you're right. Like, this is not the first time they have said, we're going to find a guy for admitting that he intentionally spun somebody. It certainly happened multiple times before, but maybe Denny Hamlin knew that you had him fantasy lineup maybe. because he initially yeah. said, uh, yeah. I, I accept the decision. I'm not going to appeal. But then three days ago, Kim, he says, after much consideration, I've decided I will appeal the decision by NASCAR to penalize me. What happened was common hard racing that happens each and every weekend. There also was no manipulation of the race, oh. nor actions detrimental to the sport. Now that was his tweet. He also said on the Fox pre-race show. What changed your mind through the course of the week? You first said, I'm not going to appeal it. Come back a couple days right. later, so I'm going after it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, listen, I don't want to get into my defense here because it, it gives the uh, prosecution time to plan for it. <laughs> but I, I think that I have a very legitimate case uh, in this. Uh, obviously, you know, one of them being the word intent was taken out of the rule book. So what, what does yeah. it matter what I say? Obviously, he's appealing it. And yeah. What do you feel like his chances are? I think his chances are slim. He <laughs> came out on his podcast and he said there was intention. He took essentially took Ross out. He was taking him with him. We should clarify, though. Yes, Denny's being fined for what he said, but that's also not the reason he's being fined, if that makes sense. The reason is because he manipulated competition. It just happened that he admitted to the manipulation. So I don't think he wins the appeal. When you have it literally recorded... <laughs> That the driver came out and said he did it on purpose. I don't know what kind of case you have. And to your point, in terms of the manipulation side of things, like I think the way NASCAR has looked at this and what Elton Sawyer and others have said is that he's affecting other people. Yes. And if you listen to Denny's peers, I think it was Harvick who said this past weekend, well, it's getting to the point now where they have their thing. It affects how the re- it didn't in this instance yeah. in Phoenix, but it could affect other people who might yeah, be the field crashes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It w- well, like Bubba Wallace when he wrecked Kyle Larson and it took out Christopher Bell, and that was during the playoffs. So it, it certainly you have to consider the fact that there are 
depending on the track, 35 plus other drivers on the field that can be impacted by your decision. So I think I don't think he wins the appeal. Right, well, we'll see. Certainly, if Denny Hamlin gets penalized for freedom of expression, he would probably argue we had another freedom of expression that was more about actions speaking louder than words, I think, in the Saturday Xfinity race <laughs> where Josh Williams is ordered to the garage by NASCAR and he decides to accept this directive by parking his car at the start-finish line on the front stretch at Land Motor Speedway and then walking to the pits, then called to the NASCAR hauler for a long post-race discussion. I should preface this by saying Dustin Long's story on this on NBCSports.com about Josh Williams getting penalized. It was not only the most read story, most read NASCAR story on NBCSports.com this past week. It is the most read NASCAR story by a country mile on NBCSports.com for the month of March. Wow. So there's clearly a lot of interest in this thing. (laughs) Well, I don't think we've ever seen anything or haven't (laughs) seen anything like this. Uh, ever or in a very, very long time for what it's worth. It was a very viral moment. Yes. It, it got people's attention. And afterward, Josh Williams talked to reporters and he said, long time ago when I was younger, I had something similar happen to me at a short track and I stopped, uh, on the front stretch underneath the flag stand and got out and there wasn't one person sitting in their seat. So, you know, I just, I didn't do it to be spiteful or, or to make a huge scene and, and cause every one of y'all to stand here. I just want to voice my opinion. I felt that it wasn't wasn't right, but it's in the rule book. Then on Sirius XM this morning, he said, So going forward, if this were to happen again, would you handle it the same or differently than you handled things Saturday? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I did what, what I did and, you know, kind of that's the way I voiced my opinion. Um, you know, could I handle it differently? I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, at that moment in time, that's what I chose to do. And, and I mean, that's not something you're going to do all the time. You know, I mean, there's going to be good calls and bad calls, right? And, and sometimes it's going to be used, sometimes it's not going to be used. So, um, I mean, that, that's not something that's going to just be a reoccurring thing. You know, if there's an issue, just, you know, make, <laughs> make, make it seem like that. But, you know, hopefully we're not put in that position again. You know, if we are, it's, you know, it is what it is. So where do we come down, do you think, on this one? I think NASCAR absolutely has to penalize him because you can't just have guys yeah. parking their cars and walking no. off he, the track. And NASCAR needs to penalize him for what he did. But I backtrack to should he have been told to park his car in the first place? And I didn't watch the full race, but I watched cl- clips and have read enough of it. It's my understanding that he had bear bond that came off and they parked him for that. I know it's in the rule book that they can do that, but how many times have we seen Bear Bond fly off a car and it's not parked for Bear Bond flying off a car? Now, the succession and number of cautions in the Xfinity race uh, had gotten to a point where I think they were trying to mitigate things like that happening. Josh Williams comes from a, a small team. Parking the car for them is somewhat detrimental, not being able to finish the race. And so... I can see where he was so upset and we forget that the adrenaline that these guys and girls are facing in the car is so ratcheted up. They're in the midst of super speedway racing in this case at Atlanta. So I can see where he was just so angry that he did it. I don't think it was right to park his car on the start finish line. I think NASCAR will be right to penalize him for that because it is a a safety issue, but I do go back to should he have been told to park his car in the first place? I don't know that I would have. Yeah. I don't. It, that's beyond my paycheck. Um, <laughs> I I don't work in race control, but that to me was like a little bit like 
iffy like yeah. oh wow they're gonna have him park his car for that like you're hurting the little guy yeah you're I mean, hurting the little just guy let him come in and fix yeah. it right yeah 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 so that was one big controversy i i think the other thing from atlanta that was a little bit of a controversy besides the things we've talked about and this is the last point we'll make on atlanta was the crash in sunday's race involving kevin harvick mm. that took out multiple cars ross chastain was nearby yep. but we saw in replays he yeah. didn't appear to touch harvick at all but of course the internet twitter nascar twitter was ready to crucify him yeah. as normal what do you make of, of what we saw with ross chastain being involved around that crash after everything happened, seeing everything from every angle, it was just a super speedway racing incident. There's no reason. It just happened to be Ross. There's no reason people should be upset at Ross. However, I will say, I was watching the race, and at first I was like, oh, yeah, Ross just got <laughs> Ross just got put on Again? somebody else's yeah. bad list. Well, I mean, yeah. on Harvick's bad listing, because there was a time where they weren't kosher uh, with each other. And that was on first glance from, like, the – bird's eye view before you got the in-car shot and before you got the close-up. Then the more angles you saw, you realize, no, Ross really did not touch him. Yes, he took the air off Carvick and and that got Harvick loose. But to me, that's just a product of that style racing in the draft. And at that point, there was nothing Harvick could have done or Ross could have done. So I don't, I don't think we can look badly at Ross for this. Um, I don't think you could look poorly on Harvick either for wrecking the field <laughs> i think there were like 12 cars involved yeah. i just think it was a product of drafting style racing but again at first glance i was like oof this is not gonna be good for ross chastain yeah that's sure to be a storyline that follows into circuit of the americas which is this weekend where ross chastain also yeah. is the defending winner and won last year in this really controversial yeah. finish where he had this huge dust up with yeah. AJ Allmendinger, and they wrecked each other back and forth People on the lead. People love that guy, though. So the yeah. fans that want to meet like Ross this, Chastain, right? they're going to grab <laughs> on to the Atlanta incident and, and continue to have a reason to hate Ross Chastain. Yeah, it certainly gives us another reason to watch Coda, as if there weren't enough already. Are yeah. you going to Austin? I will the be there to cover the truck race, so I won't be there through the entire weekend, but I'll there, be there for part of it. So I'm excited. We get you got Jimmy, Kimmy, yes. Jensen, Button. Jen, yep. Jimmy, Kimmy, Jensen, Jordan. Jordan People are Taylor. forgetting. Everybody's talking about Jensen and Kimmy and Jimmy that we forget that Jordan Taylor, four-time IMSA champion, is going to be in the nine car. And I am so thrilled for him. Uh, he's been wanting to make his NASCAR Cup debut for a long time. They're just throwing him right in. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. Yeah. And we've got Connor Daly. Uh, oh, trying yeah. to make this race from the IndyCar series as well. So yeah, it's this crazy, uh, like, I don't know how the stars align that you have two former F1 champions, yeah. like Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button, Button making his NASCAR debut. You've got Jordan Taylor, IMSA champion, making his NASCAR debut. You've got Jimmy Johnson returning, seven-time champion, and Connor Daly trying to make his third Cup Series start. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> and I think it speaks to the level we've gotten to of not just racing in general, but road course racing yeah you used to look at those guys when they would jump in on a road course and say oh you know the team's brought in a road course ringer and i don't think you can say that anymore the entire field has elevated its road course game so now for guys to jump in the car like that i think it's more because they know the competition is stout it's not just oh i'm going to jump in and be the ringer it's no this is going to be a competitive battle because the entire field over the last i would say 10 to 15 years has realized, and especially the last handful of years, now that we've added so many road courses onto the schedule, everybody has elevated their game. I would say, I don't know how far back, but there used to be a time where 
it was very easy to pick your lineup for oh, who sure. you thought was going to yeah. win at a road course. Now, I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, we saw it last year with the, yeah. the two track house drivers, Chastain, who I just mentioned. Suarez won yeah. at Sonoma, first cup win there. Yeah. So, and yeah. you forget AJ's in a cup car now, too. Right. We have to remember that, too. I mean, I feel like he's going to make the playoffs because he's going to win one of these races, course. you yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. Certainly a lot to watch, probably a lot to talk about. And appreciate you coming in here and talking about yeah. all this, Kim. Thanks Absolutely. for coming back. Anytime. We appreciate Kim Kuhn for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Conboy for coordinating this episode. Thanks to Zach Catanzaretti for the show notes. And again, thanks to Kim Kuhn for stopping by the NASCAR on NBC Sports Charlotte studio to make it happen in person. Again, you can catch Kim on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel this week, breaking down the Atlanta Motor Speedway race with Jeff Burton and Kyle Petty on the NASCAR America Motormouths videos. And as always, you can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors, and you can check out what myself, Mike Embry, and Dustin Long are writing this week. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.